Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. Now, some podcast episodes that I do, I'm really excited about. Others, I'm a little bit nervous about. Today's episode definitely falls into the nervous category. Now, in case you don't know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so I wanted to devote an episode to talk about breast cancer, partly because this is a predominantly female-led industry, but also because as hairdressers, we're also often involved with that very personal and intimate time in a woman's life if they are unfortunate enough to have breast cancer and they're losing their hair, etc. So most of us, uh, myself included, will have someone in our life who's been directly impacted by breast cancer, whether it's a, a family member, grandmother, mother, sister, close friend, colleague, or perhaps indeed yourself. Breast cancer is the most common form of cancer. But the good news is that whereas 20 to 30 years ago, it was a death sentence for many people, today, survival rates have improved dramatically and they continue to do so. So before this podcast, I did a little research and I found myself listening to an excellent podcast, which I'm happy to refer everyone to go and listen to. And that podcast is called And Then Along Came Breast Cancer. And it's hosted by a UK-based TV personality, a lady by the name of Victoria Derbyshire, who is also a survivor of breast cancer. And anyway, before I knew it, I had listened to several episodes, which was definitely a huge education for me. And on one of those podcast episodes, it was titled Breast Cancer and Hair. And there were three guests on it. And one of them was a young lady by the name of Nikki Elkington. Now, Nikki is not only a hairdresser, but she's also a survivor of breast cancer. So I think that she is the perfect person for me to talk with today. Now, I'm also aware that this is a deeply personal and intimate subject for many people. So I reached out to Nikki and I asked if she'd be a guest on the show and share her experiences. And she's very happy to. Obviously, I'm not a doctor and neither is Nikki. And I don't mind saying that I'm feeling totally out of my depth. Now, obviously, Nikki can only talk about her experiences as a survivor of breast cancer, but she can also talk about it in the context of being a hairdresser. But as is often said, every woman's journey is unique to them. So in today's podcast, we're going to discuss how Nikki dealt with the initial impact of finding out that she had breast cancer, the treatments and dealing with hair loss and so much more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Nikki Elkington. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very nervous, but also happy to be here today. Good, good. So I'll tell you what, Nikki, let's start off with just to settle things down a little <laughs> bit. Obviously, there's going to be some people that listen to this who, who already know who you are, but 99% of the audience have not heard of you. So let's just start off. I've given a little bit of an introduction, uh, but who is Nikki Elkington? Give us your sort of, you know, 60 second uh, backstory. Hi. Well, yeah, I'm Nikki. I'm 44 years old. I've been a hairdresser since I was 15 years old. I started as Saturday Girl. Um, and went full-time from leaving school and it's always been a huge passion of mine I love it um, 
I did get married when in 2014 to Richard, who was my husband, and he sadly died suddenly at the end of 2019. So not only having to deal with breast cancer that year, I also had to deal with the sudden loss of my husband, which has been horrific. But I'm kind of at a point now where I'm just starting to live life again. Um, I have wonderful friends who I spend a lot of time with. I love going to concerts. Kylie Minogue is my one love of life. Um, I've loved her since I was seven years old. I love going to the gym. <laughs> Fitness is a huge thing for me. It always has been, yeah. especially, especially post-cancer. Um, and I love my cat. And like TV, I'm just, quite, you know, just a regular girl who goes to work and just enjoys socialising with my friends and just, yeah. Having a good time, enjoying life. Okay. That was interesting, actually. That yeah. I mentioned yeah. the podcast, um, the Victoria Derbyshire podcast, um, that I was listening to that. And it was, I mean, on this podcast, it's just you and me talking. Uh, on the Victoria Derbyshire podcast, she often had three or four guests. And all of those guests were survivors of breast cancer. And one of the things that really stood out in almost every podcast is mm -hmm. there was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of laughter. There was a lot of sort of sisterly uh, love and and sharing. And it, it really sort of came across to me, um, you know, because I suppose there's no male equivalent to that sort of thing. You know, like you, I said in the intro, that one in seven women will get breast cancer. That is a you know, a, a terrible statistic to have to live through as a woman. Mm -hmm. So, look, before we yeah. um, start talking about your personal journey, can we start off by just a little sort of overview about breast cancer? Because, you know, I, I, I don't even know what causes breast cancer. And we were having a little chat uh, before we started recording, and, and I loved how you phrased it. So over to you. Just talk about what causes breast cancer why are breasts susceptible um i mean i don't know like you said before i'm not a doctor um but i got get all my information from this amazing lady who is a doctor her name is liz o'reardon and she was a breast surgeon who got breast cancer and she's recently just had a second reoccurrence and she makes fantastic videos on youtube on instagram and explains everything so clearly so you understand it in normal language not medical language and she said the reasons you get breast cancer one you have boobs and two because of hormones most breast cancers are hormone driven um there are there are so many different types of breast cancer there's loads it's just a complete mm. minefield really there's so mm. many different types um yeah different causes you can have um you could be triple negative you could be estrogen progesterone her2 positive her2 negative there's lobular this that and the other there's so many different types of breast cancer yeah well that was the other thing i noticed is that there's a whole language around breast cancer a lot of the words you've also just thrown out mm -hmm. and um uh, i want to come back to talk about that later but i think that one thing a lot of people might have heard about is the BRCA gene and one of the reasons that they may have heard about the BRCA gene and the publicity around it is because Angelina Jolie, um, when she had a double mastectomy, et cetera, you know, she, she brought a lot of, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of press to what the BRCA gene is, et cetera. Um, do you know anything about that? Do you have that? Because it's a hereditary gene, isn't it, the BRCA gene? Yes. Thankfully, no, I don't. I was tested for it um, because I've got a family history of breast cancer. My mum had breast cancer and my nan had breast cancer. Um, but 
they only actually test in the UK 10% of women that have breast cancer because mm. it's such a low chances of you having it. And the only reason they tested me is because my mum had breast cancer premenopausal, which yeah. can make a difference. The younger you are, um, which is why they test you. But we all carry BRCA. So there's BRCA1 and BRCA2. We all carry it. It's just whether mm. we have the gene mutation. Yeah, thankfully, I don't have it. Um, it was horrible, actually. It's a 12-week wait on the blood test coming back from that as mm. to whether you have it. Because um, if you do, the chances are you have about an 85% chance of getting breast cancer, about a 60% chance of getting ovarian cancer and a few other cancers. Um, so I was very grateful I didn't carry it. But I do mm. know people that have. Um, I lost a very dear friend to breast cancer uh, back in 2012. She was diagnosed mm. at 25. Her mum had had breast cancer. She uh, she did. She carried the BRCA gene. Her sister carried the BRCA gene. She had a preventative double mastectomy six, seven years ago. Mm. Um, and her odds now have gone back down to someone who has, you know, to someone that's never had breast cancer or not got the gene. I've had another friend, the whole side of her dad's family, Carrie Bracker. She's 30 years old and just had a preventative double mastectomy to try and help herself reduce her odds of getting it. Yeah, that, that was another thing that surprised me when I was researching this, is if you'd said to me beforehand, what's the average age that someone gets breast cancer? I would have said, I don't know, probably in their 50s. Um, and I don't know if that is the average or not. But, you know, on this other podcast that I was listening to, there's a lot of young women in their 20s that get breast cancer. I mean, you're still a young woman. I mean, you're not in your 20s. But what is the the average age or the most you know common age for when people will get breast cancer? Or isn't there such a thing? In your 60s, I think, it, it is when you're older. If you get cancer under right, 50, okay. you're considered young. Um, yeah. I think, I guess the thing is, we hear about younger people more because younger people, and rightly so, put it out there on social media and reach yeah. out for help because yeah. there isn't the, you know, you, you can't relate as much when you're young to someone who's 65. You know, yeah. you, get, you get given leaflets and pictures are all of older, older women and right. when you're young, you think that's not me. And yeah. I think that's where social media is great because younger people do put themselves out and then you can find each other. There's an amazing community to yeah. be able to support and help each other. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's mid-60s is the average age. Right, okay. So um, for yourself, you said your mum uh, had breast cancer, your nan had breast cancer. For you, when you were in your 30s, were you sort of thinking yeah. this is probably going to be an inevitability here? Were you thinking along those lines that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when? Um, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, when I was 30, I did go to the doctors. I had a bit of a health crisis. I was like, oh, 30, I've been on the pill half my life. Um, so I went, got referred to a local unit that deals with family history. They mm. checked me over and said, you're fine. Um, you're not high risk, but you're not low risk. So maybe when you get to 40, come back and we'll start screening you younger yeah. because okay. i think that's where the issue is in the uk we don't start mammogramming until women are 49 50 yeah yeah my wife has told me that we lived in australia for a while and in australia the people have a lot more access to get mammograms i think pretty much whenever you want whereas here it's quite a palaver to get one um unless you're a certain age and obviously um the the one of the things i've learned about breast cancer or cancers in, in general is that the survival rate is so much higher if it's detected, you know, early on. So if you can't get mammograms until you're in your 50s or whatever, then that can be a problem, can't it? Um, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about, you alluded to the fact you love going to the gym and all that. How important is health and lifestyle 
in, in terms of not getting breast cancer? Is there anything you can do to, you know, reduce your chances? The thing is, you can't, you can't cancer proof your life. I just think it's kind of comes down to common sense a lot of the time with all kinds of health issues. If you keep your weight at a healthy weight, you don't smoke, you, you know, you drink alcohol, but not ridiculously. And if you exercise, you're doing everything you can to keep your body fit and well. And then I think if you then were to get cancer, you're in a better position to be able to cope with treatment. Mm. Okay. So you've got had a little bit of, you know, knowledge through family, et cetera, and friends. Um, but when you found out that you had breast cancer, can you talk to us about that? Like, how did that sort of impact on you? What was that moment like when you got that news? I thought I knew, but I didn't have a clue. Right. I really, I didn't. I didn't know any, you know, I thought I knew stuff, but I really didn't know anything. It was just, it's, you know, you just, your world changes and mm. you just, all of a sudden you're just thrown into this. It's almost like having a full-time job, having cancer. Mm. You know, the doctor's appointments, the the tests, the scans, the, it's, it's yeah a whole nother world it's a club that you don't want to ever be part of and mm. you always hope that you're not going to be but it just changes there and then that in that in that moment yeah it's interesting before you were you were dropping a whole lot of terminology um that because you've had cancer you know what all those things mean and um i know that there is a a language around cancer and sometimes doctors use that language when they're talking to you in a deep state of shock that you've just been told, yes, you've got cancer, and then they start throwing all those words at you, like you've just said, you said her too positive or something, and, you know, different stages and different levels. And, I mean, there's just so many things. It's like it is like another language. So were, were you – I mean, how do you take all that in and process it? Mm -hmm. Because it must be – a bit numbing when someone gives you that because it, 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 I mean, the word cancer, I think full stop makes people really face their, you know, mortality, does it? it forces them to face up to their mortality. It's like, oh my God, what if? I mean, talk to us about that. Yeah. Cause I think like you said, you know, it's not a death sentence anymore, but you hear it mm. and you just think, oh my God, well, that's it. I'm going to die. And I think that's the thing. There's so much information when you get your diagnosis, there is so much information you get all these books, these leaflets, and you're thrown into a world of appointments and scans. And it's like, hold on a minute, one minute I was okay. And now I'm laying in a scanner, having my whole body checked to see if I've got, you know, metastatic breast cancer now, if it's spread. Mm. It's, it's scary. It's daunting. It's lonely. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking about from, you know, the thing that you always hear is that you should check your breasts, obviously. Um, and mm -hmm. you often hear about people have got a lump, they've found a lump, or sometimes you might hear about a, you know, discoloration or, or dimpling or whatever it is. But another thing that I was surprised about was that not all breast cancers are noticeable, that there is no lump, there is no discoloration. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it's something that's just going on, you know, as you said at the beginning, there's not just, breast cancer isn't just one thing. It's multiple different diseases. And, and that is why, from what I gather, why mm -hmm. mammograms are so important. And having your regular mammogram is a good way to, you know, if, if it is invisible symptoms, no lumps, no um, discoloration, no cyst or whatever it is, the mammogram will still sort of show you what's going on. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, no, a, a lot of people will f have their counts found during mammograms, especially if right. you've got big boobs. 
sometimes you can't always feel properly you know even people that check correctly they can't always feel them and that's why mammograms are so important and people must go for them because it can save your life because if you can pick up something that's deep nearer you know to the back of your boob near your chest wall and it can detect you know tiny tiny cell changes so it's so important to go for them and they when you're younger as well they will do you an ultrasound as well the reason why they don't like to mammogram you too young is because mm. the younger you are the more dense your breast tissue is so it's mm-hmm. harder to see so they will often yep. do ultrasounds as well to have a look i think they can see a bit more clearly with an ultrasound yeah yeah well that was interesting you know when i was listening to some of these other podcasts the amount of girls in their 20s uh, i was shocked I, I didn't think that was a thing at all um uh, at least one of them that I listened to was pregnant, nine months pregnant. She found out she had breast cancer and it was at the time of COVID in the UK. So, I mean, talk about like, you know, because you're nine months pregnant, you can't have any treatment. Um, you're going to have the baby and uh, and then you go in for all the treatment. This particularly young lady survived and got through it all. But yeah, I was, I was uh, you know, stunned about, you know, the likelihood of people at a range of ages that cancer knows no sort of demographic, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, what about when you had to tell people? You know, so you got told, and obviously that was a, a shock to whatever degree. Uh, you, you go home, you have to tell your mum, your family, etc. What's that like? How do you do that? That must be the um, hardest conversation you ever have. I think so, because you have to manage other people's emotions. I think when you kind of, when it's you in a situation, you just had to deal with it. You don't have a choice. Mm. It's like, right, this has happened to me. And I suppose I was just like, yeah, this is, this is it. But it's the one thing I just held on to that my consultant said when she told me I'd got breast cancer, it's the first thing she was like, it's treatable, it's treatable. Mm. And I was like, right, I'm not going to die. We can Mm. treat this. It's going to be a hell of a journey to get there. A lot, you know, a long eight month path to go down, but it's treatable and I think when I first found out as well I didn't I wasn't aware of all of those things to start with so I'm just like you know I went for this rapid diagnosis and I left there and they said to me you know they've taken biopsies they've done all those sort of things and said to me we're we're very concerned this is breast cancer Mm. you know but we just kind of need to know what it's done I think those consultants the radiologists they know what they're looking at they see it day in, day out. They can't say to you it's 100% cancer because they need, you know, to clinically check it. But mm. I walked out of there and I thought, yeah, I've got breast cancer. But a mm. lot of my friends would be like, oh, but you might not. It might mm. be okay. Because I think nobody yeah. wants to see their friend. Nobody, it's this really scary thing, isn't it? The thought of having cancer because you, no one wants to, you know, you hear people that have cancer. You, Everybody knows someone that's had cancer, but no one wants to see their friend go through it. Nobody mm it's terrifying and i think people were sort of like oh no but you might be all right it might be okay and it's like nah i've I've got cancer Mm -hmm. but you know what i think for me was the worst part was when i when i first when i went to the first initially went to the doctors and the doctor confirmed there was a lump there and we have this two-week pathway in the uk so once they refer you to the breast center and within two weeks you'll be seen for a rapid diagnosis Mm-hmm. I got the let. I went on the Monday. I got the letter. You know, the minute I walked out of that doctor's, I thought, I've got breast cancer. You know, I could I could feel a lump at that point. It it had grown. I was like, this is it. So I think for me to kind of think, okay, okay. And I didn't really tell many. I told a couple of my friends and my husband and you know close people, but I didn't tell my clients. And I went to work for that two weeks, 
and I had to wait two exactly two weeks for my appointment and going to work every day and trying to pretend I was okay. Mm-hmm. I think my body then I was going through that kind of like grieving process, that kind of realization of shit. I know what's I know what's coming. Mm-hmm. So I think by the time I got to the hospital for my diagnosis day, I said to my husband, if we walk out of here and I don't have breast cancer, that'll be brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I could, in that couple of weeks, going to work and, you know, being a hairdresser, you're kind of on stage, aren't you? You have to be all like, yay, yay. It's, and inside, I was just screaming because I'm thinking, oh, my God, mm-hmm. you know, I'm having to stand here and pretend I'm okay. And that was one of the worst points, I think. And that was, for me, I think my the realisation of, I think, yeah, I know what they're going to tell me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, so I kind of went in the day I got my diagnosis. And I was prepared for it, I think. Yeah. How would you advise other people to approach those conversations? So whether you're the person with breast cancer who's going to have to go home and tell their partner, husband, boyfriend, you know, mother, father, whatever, how would you advise people? Is there a right way, a best way? I mean, because you're obviously in a state of shock when that happens as well. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as well. When you first know that, you don't know anything. Like when we walked out of the, that day and I sort of, you know, messaged my friends, you know, it got to midday and my friends are like, are you okay? Like, we've not heard from you. And it's like, yeah, this isn't good news. People just, it's natural. They want to ask you loads of questions. And at that point, I didn't know anything, mm. you know, and you start getting, my phone was going mad. I was getting like bombarded with people that they care, you know, wanted mm. to know. And in the end, my husband said, just put your phone down. Mm. Like, it's too much. You don't need to be answering all these people's questions because it's only coming from a point of people caring. But until you know where you are and what you're doing and what your, you know, your cancer pathway is going to look like, it's really hard because you you just don't know. Mm. And it's the one thing I would say to anybody is just don't Google anything because it's terrifying. Just stay the hell away from Google. Mm. It's, It's not your friend. Yeah, it's interesting. I was hearing other people say that as well, that, um, that that is what we've got used to doing. Now we Google for every answer we need and that there's so much misinformation of course we do mm-hmm. and and so many you know snake oil salesmen mm-hmm. on uh, on there that all make sure they're at the top of page one so everything you read is bad news so to speak and uh, and that again that was interesting took me by surprise don't use google use the experts yeah and i think that's one thing like my oncologist said to me one of the first things he said to me is you know, nowadays, cancer, we treat everybody's of cancer to the, their own histology of their cancer. So it's mm. not a case of, you know, years ago, it was box standard chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and that was it. But now he said, you know, please stay off Google, stay off forums, because you could have this, this similar cancer to four other women, but you could all mm. be on different treatment because right. of your own histology. So mm. that's how advanced treatment is nowadays, which is great. Yeah. So yeah, don't compare. He said because I'll have people say to me, "Well, she's we've got the same cancer, and she's having this. Why aren't I having this?" Mm. And it's just a case of just advocating for yourself like that and thinking, actually, no, I don't need to. I don't. I don't need. I don't need to be reading stuff. And you're right. You do. You get the horror stories on Google, and it's mm. all stats. And at the end of the day, we're not stats. We're human beings, mm. and it's really hard to not do it. But you, you can't. You're naturally, you know, you put in one question, and then all these questions start coming up, don't they? What's the mm. worst type of breast cancer? How many people die from breast cancer? And it's just a minefield. And, you know, within a few clicks, you'll be, you know, you'll be dead. So it's stay away from it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, another thing that I, I sort of touched on this before when I said it's sort of like a bit of a sisterly, it's a club that you don't want to be a member of. But 
because you're going along to hospital doctors, you're meeting other women that have also got cancer. And so all of a sudden you're in this community. That's what I really felt when I was listening to this podcast series. It, it was like this community of women that all understood each other. Their, their friends and family who didn't have cancer didn't necessarily understand each other, but they all understood each other and could all talk openly about you know their emotions, their mental state, and and what their biggest fears and stuff were. And I found that interesting. Is it is it like um, you know sometimes when they talk about death, they talk about the different stages of death when someone dies, the different stages of grief that you go through. I think the first stage is denial. That you know that can't be true. Um, I can't, off the top of my head, think of all the stages of grief. But I know the first one's denial. I think the last one's acceptance. You know, we're, we're, and there's these other stages in it. I know one of them is anger. Is it is it like that? You know, emotionally, did you go through these stages of you know denial? Oh no, it can't possibly be me. And then being angry about it, and then eventually accepting that okay, this is what I've got, and this is what I've got to move on with. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, coming from somebody who has experienced quite a lot of grief in my life, I don't care for the stages. I don't. I think that's rubbish. The, okay. the, in the order of the stages that grief happens, mm. I think you can experience all those feelings within mm. 10 minutes of each other it doesn't yeah, yeah. it doesn't work like that it just yeah. doesn't it's kind of but i think people think it does but yeah. it it just doesn't um but i think when i first found out i'd got cancer all i heard from my consultant was it's treatable it's treatable okay and i think that's kind of what i went with i just i just thought right okay she's not said i'm going to die i'm not going to die we can treat this i didn't really think above that like past that and i think there's so mm. much that comes with a diagnosis um in the sense of you know appointments and scans and tests and this and that and you're looking at kind of like you know eight nine months worth of active treatment and then mm. you're moving on to you know immunotherapy so you're looking at potentially a year to 18 months sort of a treatment before you even get into sort of realms of a chemical menopause so I kind of just looked at it and thought, right, I need to get, I need to get, you know, knowing I had to have chemotherapy, I need to just deal with chemotherapy. I need to mm. sort of break it down into kind of stages like that. All I kept thinking was, I need to get back to work. This happened in March. I can be back at work by Christmas. And that mm. was kind of like my focus, really. I think I just sort of dealt with each part as it come. And I think it's, it's easy to want to run away with yourself and kind of look towards the end, but there's so much that rather in and it's all consuming and it's overwhelming so actually just to deal with it in tiny little like stage by stage in that sense of yeah mm. let's do chemo once mm. chemo's done we move on to the surgery and like that and you just kind of you you just don't have a choice you're thrown mm. into this world you have no control no choice you kind of just have to go with it i think except like it's often not till you finish treatment that I think you start to kind of process what's happened because hmm. you're just, yeah, you just very quickly you're thrown into this world and it's chaos and it's scary and there's so much to deal with that you don't have time to stop and think about it. You don't have a yeah. choice. You're there, you deal with it and you just kind of, but that's the advice I would say to somebody else is just try and like, don't look at it as a whole, look at it hmm. in sort of step by step because it's sort of, then you feel like you're getting somewhere as well, I think. Mm. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, tell me about cancer ghosting. 
that was something that was a new term to me that I'd never heard of. And uh, I was quite surprised by it. So talk to us about that. Well, as, as I don't really think I was ever cancer ghosted. Um, I think that's just other people not being able to cope with it because it frightens them. I think whenever mm. anything happens, cancer, an illness, another grief, um, it, it, it makes people look and question their own mortality and how they would cope with it. And it frightens people and I think you really learn when you go through something traumatic or a hard time in your life who your friends are and who your support mm. network is and I think people really show their true colors when it comes to things like that I've got one friend that couldn't like I'd been friends with her for years and <clears> she <throat> didn't do illness she couldn't mm. cope with illness and it's like you're not the one that's going through chemotherapy you're not the one that's dealing with this I I didn't feel bad at her for that because she just clearly couldn't cope and I thought you know what I don't need I I don't need people like that around me I need Mm. people that are going to support me and come to chemo with me and and sit through the hard times and deal with the shit that I'm facing someone that's crying and can't cope is no no good to me but you hear it a lot of the time you hear it with grief as well you know people will people actively will cross the road to avoid you rather than face you because they mm. can't deal with it. And I think that's a really selfish thing. It's mm. that's a them problem, isn't it? It's something, yeah, it is, yeah. you know, you just need, you need to show up for people showing mm. up for people when things are bad is what you need to do. Mm. Yeah. I, I heard someone talking about it and they said, even if you say, I have no idea what to say, it's better than nothing. Do you know what I mean? And what you shouldn't say yeah. is all those, all those little things like, don't worry, you're going to power through it. You're going to, this isn't going to beat you. Is that correct, that you shouldn't say that, that you're better off just to say, look, I don't know what to say, yeah. but I'm just here for you sort of thing. How does that sit with you? Definitely, I think that, because what can you say? You know, there's nothing mm. There's nothing you can say to someone to make them feel better in that moment because it, it's shit. You don't know what's going to happen. You can be being treated with a curative treatment plan, but that doesn't mean that's going to necessarily happen. You know, it's mm. scary. Nobody knows. Nobody can say to you, yeah, you're fine. You've got this, this whole fight talk, this battle talk. And it's this positivity. And it's like, you know, if only positivity cured things, it would be amazing. Mm. But I think a positive mindset helps. It can help you get up. It can help you deal with days, but it doesn't cure it. And, you know, this, yeah, people are very quick to start telling you to do these sort of diets and drink this juice and do this. and take turmeric or take this do that if that all worked then people would be doing it already um yeah yeah. and i've learned that through a lot of things in my life as well i think you're better to just say to someone do you know what this is really shit and i'm sorry and i'm here to support you because Mm. you can't say anything i think it's that nobody likes to see anybody ill suffering in pain it's a natural human reaction to want to make things better but Mm. sometimes you can't make things better you just yeah. have to, you know, acknowledgement is one thing I've learned. Acknowledgement mm. is so important. And it's just, yeah, being there and showing up. And that's, that's the best thing you can do. You cannot, you can't, if only we could take the cancer away, but you can't. You just have mm. to be as supportive as you can. And the worst thing as well is the pity head tilt. When you see people, mm. they go, oh, oh, I'm oh you know, my head like a child. <laughs> that, I yeah, hate yeah. that. Oh my yeah, god! Of oh, it's yeah. awful. It's just like, oh, mm. I'm so sorry. It's like it's very patronising, and I know mm. people mean well, but it's like just think sometimes about what you're saying. 
I think it's it is frightening and it is scary and mm. yeah, but sometimes it's just 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 be real and just say I I, I really don't know what to say to you, but I'm mm. here and that's all you can be. Yeah. Sometimes you can just sit with someone, you don't have to say anything, but it's acknowledging mm. that moment, isn't it, and not making it about them. I think that's what a lot of people do. Oh, mm. I don't know how I'd cope with this, or or they'll say things like, oh yeah, my my friend's mum had breast cancer and she died. I mean, that's great. <laughs> and it always comes from a good place. I know that. But sometimes mm. it's like, just don't even, mm. just don't go there. Just be like, yep, yeah, I'm here. What do you, you know? And the thing is as well, I think a lot of people will say, oh, I'm here if you need me. You know, let me know. Mm. And I think sometimes you don't know what you want. You haven't got a clue. You know, mm. practical, I think practical help is one really good thing for people to su suggest for people to do for someone like that. Mm. rather than you know because you don't know you've got so many things happening you, you, you so, don't know what's so what happening do you, tomorrow you don't need yeah what what do you mean cook a meal clean the house pick you up drop you off I think, do a shop for you yeah, you mean that sort of stuff definitely you know if, if, if mm. you know if you've got children and you can pick their kids up from school or do something like that yeah cook dinners do their laundry clean little things like that offer lists of hospitals stuff like that mm. it's that is a sort of help that is just priceless to somebody. And the thing is, yeah. we're very, you know, especially being British, British people as well, are very proud and we don't like to ask for help. And I mm. think a lot of the time people don't, like, you feel like a burden. You don't want to say that to people. Oh, can you do this? Can you do that? And mm. I think that is just show up and do it rather than be like, yeah. oh, I'm, yeah, I'm here. Let me know what I can do for you. It's so insincere. Yeah. You're, you're not going to ask yeah, that. Yeah of that yeah. person but actually exactly. right what do you need me to do i'll go and walk you i'll go and walk your dog for you i'll go and do your yeah. weekly shopping perfect yeah. that's the sort of help people need okay as a hairdresser let's t turn it not on the attention not on you now but on the the client because everyone listening to this or the majority of them are hairdressers um as a hairdresser uh, I certainly have had to you know shave someone's head because of cancer um, um on more than one occasion and it's uh, difficult to put it mildly. Uh, but as a hairdresser, what are some of the things that you can do to help? Or is there nothing? If a, if a client comes into you and, you know, they sit down and they look, they say, listen, I'm, I'm on chemotherapy or whatever, and, and I'm starting to lose my hair and, you know, maybe they're in tears or whatever. But what is the approach? I mean, I, I had a, a situation like that in my salon once and I was getting someone else was shampooing her hair and this kid, was just sobbing because I'd never seen this before. The client was, look, I've been there before. It's not the first time. It's not the end of the world. Let's just get the clippers out. She went and sat at the backwash with a, a bob with blonde highlights. She got up with 90% of her hair left in the basin, and then she went and sat down in the chair, um, leaving most of the staff in tears, and uh, proceeded to get the clippers and ask me if I could finish it for her, which I did. Um, and it's, you know, that was my first sort of baptism of fire, to tell you the honest truth about it. I've never forgotten it. That was over 30 years ago. So, so what are some things in a professional capacity that you should do? Um, it's hard. Um, hold on, I need to think about this. Um, let me ask you some questions then. Can you, can you do colour? Can you colour someone's hair when they're on chemotherapy or is that just a stupid suggestion? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I guess it all depends. If not on chemotherapy, you lose your hair. Mm. It's, yeah. it's not every type of chemotherapy. People that you're going, your hair's going to shed anyway, even if you're on a chemo that doesn't 
attack your hair. Mm. I personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not put more chemicals on it. Um, you could probably still have your hair cut, I guess, if you're not losing your hair. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess pre, pre, I've only ever had people come in pre, pre chemotherapy and say, I'm going to lose my hair. So therefore, can you just cut it either really short or shave it off for me? And mm -hmm. I do, I agree. I think that's one of the most distressing things. I had to do mm. it with my friend Emily when she, when she first got diagnosed and mm. she, she went for chemotherapy. She tried the cold cap. She didn't like it. And she came into me and her hair was just like a matted mess where chemotherapy mm. really dries your hair out. And I gently washed it. And I remember just putting the comb in and her hair just came out. And like you said, I was sobbing. I was just like, this is just awful. It's so distressing to to mm. do it, to see someone like that. And I just think it screams it screams cancer patient as well. And that's what yeah, yeah. people don't like. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just No, when I heard you on this other podcast that you were the lucky one out of the three ladies that were being interviewed, because you didn't lose your hair. Um you lost a little bit of it, apparently. You know, I think I heard you saying that, that you know, you'd shed some hair, but you certainly didn't lose all your hair or have to have it shaved off. And you said something that really took me back. And I wasn't sure if it was a sort of a bit of a throwaway line or if you really meant it. And what you said was, I would never, uh, you know, I would, I, I would never want to lose my hair. I would rather lose a breast than lose my hair. Just tell me what you meant by that, because that sort of rocks you back on your feet a little bit. Okay, you know, the, the hair's going to grow back. Uh, as far as I know, the breast is not going to. Um, tell me tell me about that because that's, uh, you know, I we've had a little bit of a conversation about this before, um, before we started recording, and, and it was intriguing, your response to that. Well, I think for me, the thought of throughout the years having to shave people's hair off and do all that sort of stuff, I'd always thought that, you know, if I ever was unfortunate enough to have cancer, the thought of losing my hair, I was just distraught by it. I thought that must be the, one of the worst things to happen. And mm. like before I started chemotherapy, I mean, my hair was down to my waist. I, I just liked my hair. It just, it's so much your hair, isn't it? It's your identity. It's your femininity. Mm. It's, it's so much. And I just, the thought of it. And I think as soon as I got my diagnosis, I knew I had to have a mastectomy straight off. And I kind of guess at that point, I kind of just completely, my boob wasn't part of me anymore. I thought it's, mm -hmm. it's trying to kill me. It's got to go. So I suppose I just kind of just, I did. I sort of, I just, yeah, disassociated myself with it because I thought it's, it's going and I'm going to be reconstructed. And yes, of course I know my hair's going to go back. I'm a hairdresser, but actually mm. it was of everything, obviously other than dying. It's, mm. I was like, I can't lose my hair. I cannot lose my yeah. hair. No way. Yeah. I don't want to. Okay. Well, one of the things that I've I've learned is lots of terminology: uh, radiotherapy, hormone therapy, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, uh, mastectomy, um, all sorts of alternative therapies. You know, reconstruction. But there's another one called cold cap, which I hadn't heard of, um, which is probably my naivety. But I know that you're quite an advocate of the cold cap. So. What exactly is it? Give us a little bit of detail on it, because it seems to be one of those things you either love or hate. Okay, so the cold cap. The cold cap's been around for a long, long time. Um, it, it basically, you wear a cold cap during chemotherapy, 
and it has a number of things going on which basically reduces the blood flow to your hair follicles to protect them from the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Chemotherapy at the moment can't, it attacks your fastest dividing cells first, which is your hair is the second one. And at the moment, it can't tell the difference between good cells and bad cells. So it just destroys all of them, which often mm-hmm. results in hair loss. So yeah. by restricting the blood flow to your follicles, it protects them and doesn't allow as much chemotherapy in. So therefore, you can maintain your hair. Um, not all of it. There's a, you Basically, you have a 50% chance of retaining 50% of your hair. Mm-hmm. Depending on your drug regime, there's two. There's loads of different combinations of drug regimes. There's two different types of drug groups. One is a little bit harsher than the other. Um, and yeah, we all know as hairdressers, we shed hair. We shed, what, 100 to 150 hairs a day. Mm. And when that happens, you don't notice it. I mean, I never used to think anything of getting out the shower and pulling a plug full of hair out of the sink when my hair was mm. long. But when yeah. you're looking at shed, when you see your hair shedding, I mean, in that in itself is quite distressing. Um, but it's going to shed. But I would say mm. I maintained, I reckon I probably lost about 25% of my hair. I mean, I did. I cut my hair off. I cut my hair into a really short little bob. I donated it to the um, Little Princess Trust, which is a... a a charity which makes wigs for children's hair. It's fantastic. So I thought, you know, I had 12, 13 inches I cut off my hair. So that Mm. felt good by doing that. Mm. And I think there's a real thing with hair loss and cancer, and it's about taking control. And I think people, you know, you feel very helpless. You lose so much through cancer, and you have very little control. And I think a lot of people will say, I'm going to take control of this by shaving off my hair, which I applaud, and I think that's great. But for me, I was like, I'm going to take control because I don't want to lose my hair. It's the one thing I can try and keep. My boobs going, my life's going for the next eight, nine months. But you know what? If I can get up every day and I can look in the mirror and I can still look like me, Mm. then that will be great. And I have to, I can categorically say if I had have lost my hair, I think my whole cancer experience would have been a lot different. It really, it really helped me. It really mm. did. I mean, it's hard work. You have to you have to maintain your hair very different. Um, you can't wash your hair as much. You have to wash it very gently. But you get into a routine of doing it. Um, mm. But and I was very very gr- like so grateful. I mean, Paxman, who are the company, uh, the uh, the scalp cooling machine, they're the global leaders. It's in mm. the UK. It's in ninety eight percent of cold, of hospitals free okay. to use. Mm. And I know they're global. You know, they're they're in America. They're in about sixty countries. And I know in America that there's one insurance company that have just recognized them. So you can get it on the insurance. Because I remember Mm. when I was going through my treatment, looking on Instagram and talking to a few girls, that they were having to pay $500 a go for the cold cap. Which, you know, you think we've got that sitting in our hospitals. Mm. And it's just not, It's there's a lot of negativity around it. I think a lot of people... Again, it's not understanding it. I think, you know, until you, you know, the amount of people now I talk to that have never heard of the cold cap. And unless mm. you've had cancer or, you know, been in, around someone that has, you might not know about it. Mm. And I think it's, the, we need to have more education on it because it does work. And it is now scientifically proven as well. It's not, you know, some of these harsher drug systems, maybe you'll lose 70, 80% of your hair, but they have proven that if you cold cap, your hair will regrow twice as fast and thicker for the first 12 weeks. I was going to say, there's a thing that they sometimes talk about (laughs) 
with with cancer curls or chemo curls as your hair grows back. It's sometimes softer and a little bit curly. Is that a thing? I do know someone who, who said that they had that, you know, like curly hair, whereas beforehand they had straight hair. But it was a temporary thing. It did straighten out eventually as well. Is that is that something that is a thing? Yeah, well, can, uh, chemotherapy temporarily changes the DNA of your hair. So right. therefore, it, when it comes back, it might come back. Some people, when they're grey, they'll lose their hair comes out and then it will come back like brown or blonde. It can come okay. back curly, it can come back straight. It often yeah. will go back to what it was, but that is yeah. the chemotherapy that's, cha- that's temporarily changing that DNA. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. So um, tell us about life after cancer. Um, you know, you go through these different stages and uh, uh, are you in remission? Are you cancer-free? Well, yeah, I mean, you don't, you never get told that. You know, it's not mm. sort of how you see it on TV or on the films, like you don't skip okay. off, that's it, it's all done. You know, we don't have mm. we don't have scans, we don't have scans afterwards. As far as they're concerned, they've given you the best treatment you can have. You get mm. put onto um I've been put into a chemical I had immunotherapy for a year to help mm. stop the cancer coming back. I've been put into a chemical menopause, which again stops the estrogen in my body. So hopefully that will stop it coming back. Um the further down the line you get, your I think reoccurrence often can be within the first year to two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I've actually just got to the point. I'm four years post-surgery, so I right. think I've done quite I've well tried. in that sense. Yeah. I'm mm. Essentially, I'm four years cancer-free, um, Good. which is great, but you the fear. And it's not a case of, I mean, this is a sentence to say, but your primary diagnosis doesn't frighten me. It's a secondary mm-hmm. diagnosis, which is mm-hmm. scary. And I think secondary breast cancer is not is not spoken about enough. Thirty mm-hmm. percent of primary breast cancer comes back as secondary, and thirty one women a day die of, of secondary breast cancer. And that's right. the thing that people need to be aware of. You know, it can come back in your liver. Right. So, so what does that mean? That it spreads from the breast to, you know, like you just said, your so bones sec- or your liver so, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, secondary breast cancer, it's breast cancer, but it's gone to another part of your body. So mm. it's gone to you. Often breast cancer will come back in your bones, in your liver, in your lungs, in your brain. And that mm. would be other terms. <clears throat> it would be called metastasized stage yeah. four yeah, cancer. Yeah. So mm. it's treatable, but it's, incur- it's incurable. Mm, so therefore it. it's life limiting um yeah but that's something yeah. that needs a lot more attention mm. on and a lot more um funding and you know medicine and uh, that to, to make to be able to prolong people's lives a lot longer yeah and that yeah. frightened okay. me because one of yeah, my yeah, friends sure. is one of one of my friends is is 10 years younger than me and she she was about a year behind me in treatment and she was 18 months out of treatment and she got diagnosed with secondary breast cancer in her brain. She's 36 years mm. old and mm. it's horrible. It's just, it's just mm. heartbreaking to see. And we actually, yeah. um, you know, there is a massive community, the massive, massive community of, uh, you know, cancer community. She only yesterday, a real, you know, poignant figure, Nikki, her name was in the cancer community. She died yesterday and she'd been living with metastatic breast cancer for five and a half years. And okay. it's just, it really brings it home just how, yeah. how fragile life is and how, yeah. you know, it, just how frightening it is. It kind of puts you back to that thing. Oh my God. You know, when you're yeah. in it, when you, yeah. when you, when you have a diagnosis and you're, 
you're involved in that community, yes, you are. You do see more of it than somebody mm. that wouldn't. But it just yeah. every single time you just think, God, it's just it's such a cruel disease, and it's something that mm. we just need to. Uh, people just need to be so aware. It's I think nowadays it's about prevention more than anything. It's making sure that you you check your boobs or you, and your body, not just your boobs. You know, mm. just generally. It's just mm. doing little health checks, keep an eye on yourself and anything that's not your normal, don't mm. be frightened to go and check it out. Yes, it is scary, but actually mm. it's scary if you don't do it and you leave it. Yeah, sure. Um, we need to start wrapping up in a few minutes, but I want to ask you a couple of things. Um, you have been through a lot of dark moments over the last four or five years, losing your husband, breast cancer, all of this stuff. It's, you know, it's, a, it's dark to put it mildly. Um I want to ask you the opposite to that. What's been the most uplifting moment for you? Is there anything that stands out that maybe someone has done or said or some experience that you've had and that you've just thought, wow, that's, you know, special? doesn't have to be a big thing. But I got to meet, I mean, my friends, I'm so grateful for my friends. I've got the most wonderful group of friends, mm. which I just love and adore and have just been amazing. Um, and I think as well, like, you know, future dreams, meeting, you know, getting involved with them and meeting a community of people. And I've got to meet, I've got to meet some people that I've wanted to. I've got, I got to meet a girl called Lauren who does a podcast. Well, she used to do a podcast here, You Me Big C Cancer Podcast, which is a brilliant listen to anyone who wants to. I got mm -hmm. to meet her at a charity event and that, I was really humbled by that and I got mm -hmm. to tell her how how her podcast made me feel and that made me feel really good. Um, good, good. And I think just being able to help, I've spoken to spoken to quite a few women since, you know, anyone now whose friends get diagnosed with cancer and they're scared about losing their hair, I'll speak to them, talk them through the cold cap mm. and most people now have managed to keep their hair and I feel, f for me, that's a real passion now. I feel... We need to educate. I'd love every hairdresser to be able to know about the cold cap and to be able to, you know, next time someone comes in and says, oh, God, I've got to start chemotherapy, shave off my hair, for your hairdresser to say, have you heard about the cold cap? You know, I think we have such a good relationship as a hairdresser. I think mm. people trust us. They come into us. They confide in us. They tell us, you know, their darkest, deepest secrets sometimes. And actually, for your hairdresser to be able to give you that information and as a hairdresser to be able to see your client, not have to go through that you know mm. and i'm not saying the hairdresser you know learns what to do or anything like that but it's just mm. knowing about it and just saying look check your hospital see if you've got a cold cap it doesn't mm. work for everyone people might not want to do it but yeah, i feel yeah. that now that's kind of where my passion lies i really want that out there that you know mm. this, there's this product that can really make a difference for you yeah. is it is it something that has the potential to be a service in a salon or does it have to be in a hospital, the, the cold cap? No, you can only have it done when you, you only have it on when you're ha having chemotherapy. Oh, right. At the same time as the That's drugs. You right. wear it during got your you. chemotherapy treatment. Yeah. Right, so you it. just wear okay. it for your, yeah, you wear it for your chemotherapy time. Yeah. So it's yeah. in the hospitals. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, let me ask you this before we wrap up. How has it changed you? Um, I don't care about a lot of things anymore. Okay. I think, I think post cancer, I think once I finished my radiotherapy, me and my husband said, right, we've always just worked, worked, worked. We need to get a better work-life balance. You know, it's a, having a health scare like that 
it's terrifying and it's like right we need to live life a little bit more mm. and i think him then dying you know it just completely again changed my perspective going mm. into covid and it, i just think i just don't care anymore i just life's fragile it's precious so we need to go and grab mm. it we need to live it um and just i just don't sweat the small stuff things that yeah. used to bother me i just don't care about now there's no right, point okay. in getting stressed there's no point in getting yeah. angry you know just spend time with people you want to be with like mm. tell people you love them tell people you care about them and just mm. try and make your life as happy as you can make it because you just mm. not you know tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us and yeah, yeah. we just need to embrace life because we get one sh one shot at it and that's it mm. They're, they're good final words, but I did have one more final lot of words, and that is what advice would you give to young women or women out there? Because I read a statistic recently that said in the UK, so this is just in the UK, but I'm sure it's similar in the United States and Australia and everywhere, is that they're saying in the UK that post-COVID, that because of the lockdowns and people not being able to get to hospitals, they are estimated that there are over one million women walking around with undiagnosed cancer. Uh, that's a frightening statistic. I mean, mm -hmm. if it's 1 million in this country and we've got 60 million population, then it's probably 5 million in America. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know, 300,000 or something in Australia. That's a lot of people. What advice would you give to, you know, a woman listening to this who maybe hasn't had a mammogram for a while, maybe doesn't, um, you know, physically check herself out, touch her body, find out, you know, go to the doctors on a regular basis. What advice would you give them as a, as a final thing before we wrap up? Start doing it. You know, mm. I know we can't have mammograms, which is fine, but check yourself. You know, you don't need to do it all the time, but once a month, same sort of time every month, there are tons of videos out there to learn how to do it properly, but you, you have to. We have to advocate for our own bodies. The same you'd go for a smear test. You know, mm. these things, it's scary because you think, oh, God, what if I find something? But actually, you can save your life by doing it, you know, yeah. and it's not just lumps. It's looking at a change in your mm. a change in your skin, a change in your nipple, a swelling. Mm. Uh, it's not just a lump we're looking for, but when you have to check yourself, check mm. it. Nine out of 10 lumps are nothing, you know, mm. but you, you just have to check your body. You have to yeah. be you have to advocate for yourself and you, you know your body know your normal and if you're worried about something then go to the doctors and yes it's yep. scary but actually if you do nothing it's far scarier and it's yeah. all about catching things early the earlier you catch a cancer the more chance you've got of walking away from it with a curative you know yeah. being cured from it it's, yeah good but good just check yourself you have check your boobs check your boobs mm. every month right okay so, look, we do need to wrap up. For our listeners, I want to give them a couple of resources. Uh, I've talked about the podcast. Um, I'm sure there's lots of good podcasts out there about breast cancer. This is the only one I've listened to. It's called And Then Along Came Breast Cancer. That's what it's called. And Then Along Came Breast Cancer. Um, so if you put that in any of the podcast search engines, you will find that. I don't know how many episodes there are, but, uh, you know, I watched probably 10 or a dozen of them at least. They were all fascinating a great education and uh, something that we should all do um you can see that i need to get out more often <laughs> probably <laughs> but uh so so definitely 
Definitely have a, a look at that. Have a listen to that Future Dreams uh, podcast and website. Um, the, the Future Dreams website is futuredreams.org.uk. And I'll put a link for that in the show notes for the podcast. And I'll put a link for the podcast also in my show notes because I highly, highly recommend them. So, um, Nikki, where would you at a more local level is there any particular resources you mentioned a lady a couple of times who you said she has a great youtube channel i think you even said she was a doctor or a professor and she does some really common sense good talking about breast cancer what was her name her name is liz o'reardon i think i've pronounced that correctly mm -hmm. um i can send you a link for her if you want to she's okay. absolutely brilliant um, yeah. and the other podcast i would highly recommend is the you me big c podcast mm -hmm. it's three women who have had different types of cancer. Sadly, two of them have now died. Yeah. Um, but it's an absolutely, it was brilliant. It, they were like my best friends sitting there during my treatment. They were absolutely, okay. it was, it was it really helped get me through. That was brilliant. Yeah. I would definitely, yeah. definitely recommend that. Good. Okay. Well, I will also put that link um, in our podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with Nikki, and have enjoyed it, do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories and get the word out. So, Nikki, to wrap up, thank you for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. And thank you for being brave and courageous and giving an open and honest, you know, dialogue about what's been a deeply intimate and personal part of your life. And I, I just want to say I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really, it's been really good. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.